Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to The Stone Wolves, a galactic football league novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins. Performed by Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves is also available as a Kindle ebook from Amazon.com or as a full-length audiobook from Audible.com. To find links for those items, go to scottsigler.com slash thestonewolves, one word. Hello, junkies. You're awesome. That's the fact. That's the fact. Jack! I'm back from the wedding of my two friends. I had two friends that both got married to each other. Super fun. It was a fun getaway. But now I am back at the grindstone doing all of the work. Hey, listen to this. Uh, first of all, my voice is fried because I am taking singing lessons and today was a singing lesson day and my voice is shot. Singing is very difficult for someone who does not have any kind of a natural gift at singing, but I am trying. But hey. Story news, there's a new anthology with a short story of mine that just went up for pre-order. The anthology is called Predator, Eyes of the Demon. It will be out in paperback on May 24th, 2022. You can pre-order that book now at Amazon.com and probably your local bookstore. So do your local bookstore if possible. They always need your business. If that is not possible, contact Mysterious Galaxy Books in San Diego. Their contact info is at mistgalaxy.com, M-Y-S-T-G-A-L-A-X-Y.com. The added bonus to ordering from Mysterious Galaxy is you can request that I will go in and autograph it before they ship it to your fine face. If you love the Predator franchise, you will totally dig this book. It's a collection of Predator stories, obviously. My story is called Dead Man's Switch. It is a different take on how to deal with Predators. Hopefully you'll dig it. Uh, This anthology is Predator only, not an Aliens crossover. For my Aliens vs. Predator story, check out Aliens vs. Predators Ultimate Prey, or as it's known, AVP Ultimate Prey, which is out December 14th, 2021. That one, for sure, you can order from your local bookstore, or you can order from Mysterious Galaxy Books. And the story in AVP not only has Xenomorphs, And not only has Predators, it is a short story sequel to my novel Aliens Phalanx. The whole story takes place on Adagina. If you've read that book, you will see some familiar faces. They've gotten a bit older since Aliens vs. Phalanx, and I hope you will dig that. So now that you've been tantalized with a couple of delicious new Sigler stories, let's get you caught up on the story so far for the Stone Wolves, and then we're going to bust out the combo stick and take out Alan Dutch Schaefer. Previously on The Stone Wolves, Killian's old comrade-at-arms, Fanaka, has come on board the Oleron. She was on the ship decades ago, but a lot has changed since then, both with the Oleron and with Killian. But the data cube Fanaka tricked Killian into transporting across the galaxy doesn't belong to Fanaka. It belongs to the Ponsky sisters, and the Ponsky sisters are not happy. 
Her ship fit, but barely. Killian let Fanaka take it all in. She looked around hold three, glancing at empty cargo containers that had been stacked along the bulkhead to make room for her mutant craft. Are you sure it will be all right in here? Killian nodded. We transported small craft before. All our holds are fully pressurized. That's the advantage of a donkey-class cargo ship. Everything is on the inside, so to speak. There are bigger interplanetary freighters, but those aren't atmosphere-capable. The Oleron excels at both intra- and interplanetary shipping. Don't worry, we've done this before. Many times. Your ship is already gravlocked, and Beans will strap it down before we leave. Fanaka glanced up, pointed to the large airlock cargo hatch atop hold three. Killian, is that rust? He squinted. Yeah, I guess so. How in Naraka do you have rust on a spaceship? He shrugged. Uh, It's a little humid down here. We have cargo in hold two that requires water. And no, you do not get to see hold two. Zan lived in hold two. The less Fanaka knew about Zan, the better. Killian was allowing himself to entertain a fantasy that he would finish the mission for Fanaka, then he and his crew could go back to their old life. Six main holds, Killian said. They're trapezoidal, the smaller end abutting the corridors that surround our central cargo crane array. Holds two and five both have external ramps, allowing them to be loaded and unloaded from the ground via crews and vehicles. The other holds are loaded and unloaded via the topside crane. All told, the Oleron has over 39,000 cubic meters of cargo space. Funaka nodded, all in the back end of the ship. I'd forgotten why her rear is so big. How many decks in the cruise section? Five, Killian said. Some of it we don't use. The ship was originally built for a crew of 30. I remember you having a bigger crew years ago. Decades, Killian said. Sorry? Decades ago, Fanaka, not years. She shrugged off the not-so-subtle reminder that they'd been apart so long they were practically strangers. And now you get by with just you, Zan, Beans, and Aya? Modernization is a wonderful thing, Killian said. And so is Beans. His abilities alone eliminated the need for several crew members. Holds five and six were empty. In the past two months, those holds had held different things for different jobs. Medical supplies for anti-church dissidents in the Pierce Nation. Stolen computer cores delivered to a surprisingly dim-witted underling of Nanal the Tardy. At least a dozen shipping containers of freeze-dried shushaliks gathered out of season and eleven sentients of various species who escaped enslavement in a brothel associated with Greedock the Splithead's crime syndicate. It had taken those poor souls three years to finally scavenge enough money to flee Greedock's control. The Oleron stayed busy. I'll show you the rest of the ship, Killian said. As they walked down the corridors, Fanaka's spider-legged watchbot, Peaches, followed along behind. When Fanaka saw dents, or paint scratches, or rust, or even trash, Beans had a bad habit of dropping food wrappers when he finished eating, she clucked her tongue. That made Killian feel self-conscious. Which was ridiculous, of course, 
It was his ship, and it flew fine. And he didn't need this ghost of his past to shame him about how he and the crew ran things. He showed Fanaka hold four. It was half-filled with cargo containers. Most of the containers were empty, but a few held goods that didn't have a specific delivery date. Killian would drop them off when the Oleron was finished with this job. A few containers held supplies for the ship, mostly food for the crew. He felt a cold rush when he saw the containers with Zan's food. The softly glowing inventory labels read Chochanks, Candishills, and Kushes. He heard live Githwards chirping and squealing, their sounds audible despite the soundproof guarantee on the double container that held them. Killian knew he should have thought about that before showing Fanaka this hold. Maybe she wouldn't notice. Fanaka didn't ask about any of the cargo. A good sign, but you never knew with her. She had a mind that caught details and filed them away. Hold five is empty, he said. I'll show you hold one, Beans's workshop. They walked past hold two. Fanaka stopped, looked at the strange lock on the hold's door. I've never seen a lock like that, she said. Beans made it. I suppose he thinks it's unbreakable? Killian hadn't forgotten Fanaka's skill with locks and security systems. I'm sure someone could hack it, Killian said. Of course, I'd get here before said hacker finished hacking. That wouldn't be fun for said hacker. Fanaka smiled at him. You're going to show me what's inside? That smile, that very particular smile made of heat and promises. How long had it been since he'd seen it? How could it still have such an effect on him? No, he said. I'll trust you to leave this hold be. Even if you could get in before I got to you, trust me, you wouldn't like what's on the other side. Killian didn't even like what was on the other side, and he'd known about it for decades. Fair enough, Fanaka said. As long as it doesn't compromise the mission. The mission. She talked like they were still in the guild together, like the Grisatu had never broken up. They reached the closed door of Hold One. Here we are, Killian said. Beans's workshop. I remember there being a workshop in the crew section. Did you remove it? Uh, no, it's still there, but it's far too small for the work that Beans does. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world 
that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Killian unlocked the doors, slid them aside. Music blared, dominated by the chug-chug of a heavy guitar and the bop-bop-bop-bop of a rapid kick drum. Fanaka winced. What is that noise? Trench warfare. He loves their music. Fanaka shook her head. If you can call this music, do you mind? Truth be told, it was a little loud. Olren, mute the music and hold one. The music cut off just as the singer started a vocal climb. Killian knew that tune. He'd heard it enough times, that was for sure. He didn't dislike trench warfare, but he didn't like them either. At least their music was better than that scrag garbage I listened to. Killing was still trying to get used to that. Fanaka stepped into hold one. And I thought the rest of your ship was a shit pile. Hold one was as big as holds three, four, and six, but looked small and cramped thanks to fabrication machinery, raw ingots of metal, bins of small parts, and racks of tools. The scrap of a thousand robots, crash ships, ruined grav cars, broken wheel trucks, old engines, decommissioned rockets, and Oddly, hundreds of old refrigerators of different sizes and colors. And, of course, trash. Piles and piles of it. From time to time, Killian got on beans about keeping the corridors and common areas clean, but this was his personal space. As long as the engineer got his job done, Killian didn't care what the hold looked like. One corner of the hold held a support structure for Schmeck construction and Beans' latest creation a hulking, mismatched, bipedal battleschmeck he'd named Ursa Major. The half-armored frame bristled with mounts for rocket launchers and guns. Buddha's belly, Fanaka said. That mech's almost four meters tall. You expecting an army to breach your hull or something? Killian shrugged. For lack of a better word, Beans is an artist. He makes what he wants to make. Sometimes, he makes weapons. Like any grease monkey's workshop, the hold was gloriously grimy. It was also clearly a place not meant for anyone other than beans. Holo images covered the walls, most featuring stars of the Galactic Football League, with a heavy emphasis on the Ionath Krakens. Fanaka smiled at Killian. Beans is a Krakens fan, she said. I wonder why. Killian's breath caught in his throat. Did she know? Had Redwire kept his word to stay quiet? If Fanaka didn't know, Killian needed to stay cool, not give her a reason to think anything was out of the ordinary. If she did know, she hadn't mentioned it yet. Maybe she would leave it be. Either way, he wasn't about to give up any information to a woman who used information as a weapon. The Krakens are a ship favorite, he said on account of your nation background, and that quarterback is from the nation, Fanaka said. Right, killer? Maybe she knew, maybe she didn't. That's right, he said. And the Krakens just played in the Galaxy Bowl against the Jupiter Jacks. Who won? No one here knows yet, Killian said. The punch relay broadcast from the game should hit us in five hours. We're going on signal lockdown when it comes in, so we can watch it pseudo-live. 
You're welcome to join us. We're having pizza. A bit of easy camaraderie. His old friend slash comrade slash lover sitting down with his crew to watch the game of the year. Then he remembered just who he was dealing with. If somehow you can beat the ship's comm lock and you get the final score when the first signals come in, do not spoil this game for me or the crew, Killian said. Do you understand? I'm serious about this. She rolled her eyes. I won't spoil the game. I promise. If she did, this mission would be over before it started. Killian wasn't going to let anyone ruin this game for him. Fanaka pointed to a hammock, hanging loose and stuffed with blankets and heat web. He sleeps in here? Quite a bit, Killian said. Sometimes he makes it to the hammock. Sometimes he just passes out. Killian frequently passed out as well. Except where beans dropped from exhaustion, Killian dropped from too many beers. They kept walking. Peaches alternately scurried ahead or trailed behind, curiously peeking into holes cut into the bottom of the corridor walls that appeared every hundred feet or so. The holes were about the size of a beach ball. The watchbot would tentatively step into one, obviously understanding that small tunnels of some kind lay beyond, then step back out, perhaps not brave enough to forge ahead. I've seen those holes all over the ship, Fanaka said. They weren't here the last time I was aboard. That was 30-plus years ago. I've made a few changes. <laughs> Not necessarily for the better. Are the holes for ventilation? That's one way of putting it, Killian said. They certainly bring a lot of hot air. Come on, I'll show you your quarters. An alarm blared from the speaker film. All hands to the bridge, Zan called out. Multiple ships incoming. Their drive signatures match those of the Ponsky sister ships that attacked us. Chapter 6. Apex. Killian and Fanaka were the last ones to reach the bridge. The shucking sisters, Killian said. How did they find us? Aya's hands flew across the comm skins. Unknown, I'm working on it. Impulse engines primed. Beans was still in his oversized schmeck, cables and small robotic hands extending from the suit to work the engineering station's equipment. Camboost available. Three bogies, Zan said, including the one that fired wild and caused the GAN station destruction, ETA in 48 seconds. They are coming in hot and heading straight for us. Not much time, but enough. A yellow elephant face on Zan's walking schmeck this time. Nice. Killian slid into his captain's chair, heard the comforting and familiar creak of duct tape. He called up his holo grips. He flicked his fingers out three times fast, then took control. Great work, Zan, he said. At least they won't catch us flat-footed. I have spotted them, not me, the schmeck elephant said. She is, what is the slang, Aya? Apoxia? As Killian buckled himself in, he glanced over his shoulder at Aya's station. The girl tried to play it stoic, so above it all, but she couldn't hide her little smile. Apex, Aya said. Apex, Zan echoed. Thirty-five seconds until we are in range of the sister ship's probable weaponry. Killian stretched out his hands, 
let the holograps map his fingers. Beans, get us in the air, he said. Aya, tell air traffic control. We think we're under attack and we're bugging out. Zan, is the port doing anything? ATC claims point defense is down, Zan said. Bat garrison fighter craft are scrambling to intercept. However, it will be at least three minutes before they are aloft. Which meant the spaceport's missile and gun crew manager had been bought off by the Ponsky sisters, but the Kretorakian fighter crews had not. The Oleron was on its own. In three minutes, the old cargo ship would either be gone or blown to pieces. Fanaka leaned in close. I'm a spare set of hands, Fanaka said. You told me this rust bucket had defensive cannons. I'll man them. Those cannons aren't fully legal here, Killian said. We use them, and that will attract attention we don't need. Attention you don't need? Fanaka shook her head, amazed. Know what kind of attention I don't need? Investigators gathering up pieces of me so they can figure out who died. Shoot first, figure your way out of it later. No surprise. For all of Fanaka's meticulous planning and ability to see the chessboard 20 moves ahead, when things went wrong, she defaulted to the easy option. Fanaka, Killian said, take a jump seat and buckle up. He felt his fat-bottomed girl rumble. The anti-grav lift made no vibrations, but the chem boost shook the hell out of everything. Fifteen seconds until we are in their sights, Zan said. Killian raised his hand slightly, felt the old girl respond with vertical thrust. He glanced at Fanaka. She'd strapped herself into the chair of the unused XO station. Peaches clung to the chair's framework above her. Killian lifted his hands higher, tilting his fingers toward the ceiling. Still rising, the ship angled up sharply, shot across the buildings of Riss, away from Uzo Min. Ten seconds, Zan said. The Oleron was still elevating, still accelerating. A glance at the holotank. Icons of three Ponsky sister ships coming fast. Light haulers, mostly meant for interplanetary transport. Even through the commotion, his mind processed the incoming vectors, the speeds, and combined that information with what he'd seen the sister ships do at the Gans Prime station. The Oleron had a higher max speed, but wouldn't have the acceleration time needed to outrun them. Flat-out flight wasn't enough. Eight seconds, Zan said. Not enough time. What are we logged as? The Crispy Creeper out of Vosor 3, Zan said. Also donkey class. That was one of the beautiful things about the Oleron. Donkey-class ships and copycat designs had been produced for centuries. There were hundreds of thousands of them working shipping lanes all across the galaxy. The Oleron showed up as the crispy creeper in the port's computers. If the Oleron shot first, would that fake reg stand up to subsequent visual scans when authorities reviewed the incident? Killian didn't know. What he did know was that it was better for the Oleron to be in trouble with League System Police than for the Oleron to be a twisted wreck spread across the sands. Six seconds, Zan said. Not enough time. Killian made his decision. Beans, idle the chem boost. Open up the top turret and hit them coming in. Killian twisted his left hand inward, pointed his flattened right hand down. 
The Ulrin lurched to starboard, dove for the sand below, and turned a hard 180. The maneuver's force was so great it overcame the ship's grav, pulled Killing hard against his seat restraints. He heard Aya cry out in surprise, and Fanaka grunt against the strain. In seconds, the Ulrin was heading back to Uzo Min, flying barely ten meters above the rooftops of Riss. Top turret ready, Bean said. Killian saw the three sister ships, coming from the opposite direction in a wide V formation. The things looked clunky, but they'd been designed that way. Much of the bulk common to a light hauler was nothing more than painted plastic and thin metal with hollow space inside. The sisters let loose with front-firing mass drivers, just as Beans opened up with the Oleron's 30mm cannons. The sister ships banked to avoid his fire. The three modified hullers soared past overhead, their rounds missing the Ulrin and smashing into the buildings below, shattering masonry, tearing metal, and scattering sand. Just as quickly as they'd passed, the haulers banked hard, circling around to give chase. The maneuver bought Killian five more seconds. The Ulrin rumbled toward Uzo Min. Point defense is coming online, Aya said. They're targeting us. Her tone was tense, her words clipped, but she was under control. Just like the battle at Gans Prime, the Ulleran's newest crew member wasn't panicking. Aya, Bean said, can you jack the point defense systems? A great idea. Killian knew he should have thought of it. I can, Aya said, taking control now, but I won't have it long. Make them let us pass over, Killian said. Target the sister's ships. He angled his fingers down, bringing the Ulleran even lower. At this height, he'd take her just over the haulers and cargo ships spaced out across the port. Through the curved windshield, Killian saw sentience down in the tarmac, running for cover. Fanaka laughed. <laughs> just like strafing that bat airstrip on Wopal! Woo! The Olerin missed the ships below by a meter at most and, a grinding scream, the ship lurched. Killian's hands danced in reaction. I got it, he said. He'd come in too low. The Oleran's big bottom had scraped a container transport. Preparing to fire point defenses, Aya said. And, in that instant, the Oleran left Uzo Min in the rearview tank. Beans, Killian said. Camboost! Fanaka whooped as the Oleran accelerated at nearly lethal speed. Killian angled his hands up, even as he eye-tracked the menus floating in front of him, calling up views of Uzo men from both the Oleran and the public access cams. The three bulky Ponsky sisters' modified haulers reached the port's outer rim, already angling up in pursuit, their cannons blazing, hurling rounds at the fleeing Oleran. Uzo men's point defenses erupted. A half-dozen automated cannons spit tracer rounds ahead of the haulers. One hauler, banked hard to starboard. The second actually mimicked Killian's move and dove down. The third didn't react in time. It flew right through a stream of ordnance. Fire sparked in a line along its hull. The hauler rolled a quarter turn to the right, already breaking into wildly spinning pieces. Loser, Fanaka said. I've lost control of the point defense, I said. Sorry! The port was already kilometers in the rear, quickly shrinking to a disk surrounded by buildings. In seconds, the town of Riss itself became nothing more than a speck surrounded by the endless sand. We're clear, Killian said. Aya, you saved our asses. Great work. 
He didn't have to look at her to feel her smile. The two remaining haulers gave chase, but their speed advantage soon faded as the Oleron's greater acceleration took over. By the time Killian's fat-bottomed girl hit the stratosphere, she was pulling away. Beans, he said. Did we take any damage from the impact? Systems read fine, but repainting duty is on you, Skipper. There was likely more damage than Beans let on, but if it impacted the ability to enter punch space, he would have said so. Punches to Lopu Waypoint, Killian said. As fast as you can. New alarms sounded on the bridge. Two League System Police Cruisers coming at us, Zan said. They're too far away, Bean said. We'll be gone by then. A Kretorakian destroyer is also tracking toward us, Zan said. It is preparing to join the cruisers. A destroyer? Shocking hell. But it figured. A firefight on a spaceport was a big deal, even on a backwater like Riss. Zan, Killian said. How are we doing with that punch route? The yellow elephant's googly eyes stared at him. When the equation is set, I will inform you, she said. She sounded calm, almost dismissive of his stupid question. Even in a firefight, she stayed cool. Equation loaded, Zan said. Beans, if you will. Punch plot entered, Beans said. In three, two, one. Killian faced forward, let himself relax. As the bridge round him shimmered, he felt the beer in his stomach flutter and rise. You have been listening to The Stone Wolves, a GFL novella, written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins, performed by Scott Sigler. Follow Scott on Twitter and at Instagram, where he is at Scott Sigler, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2021 Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song Battle Cry by the band Super Weapon. Five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.